This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Making decisions and problem solving is a key part of leadership. And for those hoping to advance careers into leadership positions, our next guest has some advice, including don't get stuck in paralysis by analysis. He also tells young people not to map out their careers when starting out because you don't know where you're going to end up. Ron Williams knows quite a bit about that. Williams grew up in Chicago's South Side, where he used to wash cars and overcame a variety of obstacles to become one of the few African-Americans to ever lead a Fortune 500 company. He's currently the CEO of RW2 Enterprises. He's also the former CEO of Aetna and as well a director at American Express, Boeing, and Johnson & Johnson. And he is a new book out talking about leadership called Learning to Lead, The Journey to Leading Yourself, Leading Others, and Leading Organizations. And a pleasure to have Ron joining us right now. Ron, welcome. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Uh, I, I read that part of the reason why you, you did this book was because you had been asked quite a few times about your career and, and about your your early on, your upbringing, and, and going from Chicago to being this, this CEO. Yes, that's correct. I uh, get lo- quite a few phone calls from CEOs who are going through transformational change or confronting particular problems. And then I got a lot of phone calls from people who were completing their MBA programs, who were mid-career, who were aspiring leaders, trying to figure out how did they develop, what did they need to know in order to get to the C-suite. And so based on that, I determined that it, it would be helpful to have a practitioner's point of view. So the book's about my experience, but it's also about a collection of other CEOs, including women CEOs, who have risen to the top from fairly modest backgrounds. So how did you develop your leadership skills and your leadership style over the years? Well, I think there are several things that I always recommend. I think one of them is you have to, in fact, adopt a particular leadership style and approach. And the approach I describe is values-based high performance, that you treat people with respect and you learn how you can, in fact, make certain that people are achieving the right goals, doing it the right way, getting the counseling and assistance that they need. And so thinking consciously about your performance approach is really, really important. We're talking with Ron Williams, who is the uh, author of the book, Learning to Lead. Uh, your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. There, there are a variety of elements that you talk about uh, in the book, uh, a couple of them that I wanted to touch on with you, one being the impact of mentorship uh, and the other being the impact of feedback. Well, I think mentorship is extremely important, and I think one of the things people often think is that there's only one way to have a mentor. I think in a lot of ways, you have official mentors and you have unofficial mentors. You can learn as much about what not to do as you can from what to do. And when you exhibit an interest in a professional who is who has done well, who has exhibiting the kind of leadership attributes that you think could be helpful, working to establish that relationship is extremely important. But you can learn from everyone that you come into contact with if you have an open mind. When do you th- think then realistically the the idea of being a leader starts to formulate in, in a person's mind? Because I'm 
I, I think there are a lot of people that, that believe that in this day and age that you can develop uh, leadership qualities uh, even when you're in, in high school at this point. Well, I think you can. I think it's a journey. It's not an event. It's not a process. And I think a lot of people believe that leaders are born with some kind of innate charisma. Mm -hmm. And certainly there are leaders who, who do have that capability, but the vast majority of leadership is learned. And it's individuals who have a high tolerance for failure, who have an ability to get up and to try to demonstrate leadership and participate in activities where they learn the lessons of leadership from others. So if values, as you say, are an important component uh, to leadership, th then I guess it really does not matter the type of company that you may be a leader in, whether it be a small business or Fortune 500, if you're following what you believe to be good values, core competencies, and, and looking for success, th th that a small business can have the same type of great leader as a big business. Well, I think that's true, and I think one of the things that I learned along the way is that as the CEO or the CFO, you are very excited about the financial results of the business. Most people who work in, in a business want to be part of a clear and elevating goal. They want to make the world a better place, and I think one of the obligations of the leader is to connect the business activity to things that make the world a much better place. I mentioned at the top that one of the, your really strong beliefs is being able to lead yourself. What is it that, that you found maybe about your, yourself as you were coming up through your, through your professional career where you believe that, that learning more about yourself was a key component to being a better leader? It's extremely important to be a good leader that you be self-aware. And in being self-aware, you have to solicit feedback from others. People have to be comfortable uh, giving you feedback. And one of the things I would always do with my direct reports is to end every one-on-one -on -one session with a question of, what can I do better? What can I do better to help you? What can I do better to help the organization? And really require people to have a meaningful discussion about that. Sooner or later, people figure out that it's a real opportunity for, for input and you have to be prepared to have that kind of input and be self-aware about your, not just your intent in interacting with people, but your impact in interacting with people. So is that partly the reason why we've seen, uh, to a degree, this dynamic change within companies where uh, there's more connection? They, we, we have the open offices. We have more open meeting rooms. We have a, a variety of different kind of newer ideas in terms of connecting leaders to employees and, and, and keeping the entire operation connected, especially in the last decade or so, more so than if you were to go back 30 or 40 years? Well, I think that's true. And I think one of the, the reasons for it is simply that it's important to have collaboration in the organization. In most organizations today, there's very little that one department or one function can do effectively without enormous collaboration from all parts of, of the organization. If you think about a business that's digitizing, it affects every aspect of the business. That kind of collaboration, feedback, and awareness of what it takes is really extremely important in accomplishing that. So how important is is the, the, the corporate culture in this day and age? Well, I think there's an expression that culture eats strategy. And what that means is that 
you can have the strategy, but you must have a culture that supports the strategy. And most importantly, you must have a human capital strategy, meaning the right people in the right jobs. And culture is not what the leadership says it is. Culture is what people actually experience every day. And the object of the leader, the objective of the leader, is to align what they believe the culture should be with what employees on the front line say the culture actually is. But there's also part of that, that, like in many instances, where that mindset has to filter down not only from the C-suite, but to the mid-level managers and, and on down the path. Well, I think that comes to the communication issue because you're absolutely right. Many of the messages that start at the top don't make it through the middle layer of the organization. And so there has to be very structured and disciplined communication. And the organization has to work very, very hard. One of the things I say is that when the senior leadership team has described the culture and the values and the messages so much, they could scream, they probably have reached about a third of the people. Yeah. Is there an element of, of leadership you think that has has changed now because of the digital neighbor uh, the digital era that we are in right now? Well, I think one of them is really response time. I think in the digital era, uh, you have to really be uh, prepared to respond instantly and quickly to multi-stakeholder issues that come up. And on some of these issues, Half of the responses want, want you to go left. The other half want you to go right. right. And you have to figure out as the leader of the company and the spokesperson of the company what you need to do in order to speak to the issue. And it doesn't mean always doing what everyone wants you to do, but it means articulating what you believe you should do and why the other point of view is not what you believe the organization should do today. Communication is just absolutely essential. All right, so let's flip that a little bit in that the communication aspect when you're talking about somebody that may be a, a mid-level manager but may be having to respond to a variety of different executives above him or her, you know, having that, that right path, that right understanding of where that mid-manager needs to go. Well, I think that's true, and I think it's it's quite uh, common today in, in, in uh, the matrix environment where a person reports to one boss for part of a project and for another boss for a, another aspect of what they do. So you end up with two managers who may, in fact, have different points of view. And that's where the values and the culture of the organization become really critical because you want to be certain that, that if there are two or more executives involved, that all decisions, all actions are consistent with the values of the company as, as they've been articulated. A great uh, opportunity for you, the listener, to talk with Ron Williams, the former CEO of Aetna, currently CEO of RW2 Enterprises. He is the author of the book, Learning to Lead, The Journey to Leading Yourself, Leading Others, and Leading an Organization. 844-WHARTON is the number to give us a call, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at Biz Radio, B-I-Z Radio 132, or my Twitter account, at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. We head to the phones down in Atlanta, Georgia. Barry is on the line. Barry, go ahead. Hi, thank you for uh, having me. I I just have a question about... uh current education system where more and more emphasis on STEM learning, where we are more problem solvers, you know, move on to the next thing, agile approach to things. And we're not grounded in philosophy. If, if you can just comment on that in, in terms of the importance of learning 
uh, philosophy and, uh, you know, uh, sociology, those type of fields, those type of uh, underpinnings to inform our leadership. Okay. Ron? Well, I think um, I think it is extremely important to have a broad perspective, both have a functional technical discipline, but also to understand history, philosophy, and human interaction, because no matter what domain you're in, you're going to work with teams of people. And one of the fundamental uh, points I always stress is that your consideration for the individuals involved has to be higher than your focus on the task to be done. People often think that means lowering consideration for the task. That's the wrong answer. You have to be task-focused. You have to be driven to produce the software, solve the engineering problem, get the details done. You solve that by raising your consideration for the people involved so that it is higher than that task focus. And that kind of broad background is helpful. You don't have to get it through, through formal education in college or university. It's through reading. It can be through self-study. It can be through interaction with other people and mentors. Barry, thanks very much for the call. Again, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio, B-I-Z Radio 132, or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. You know, Ron, you have a chapter in your book titled Make Your Enemies Disappear, Assume Positive Intent. Uh, part of that, I believe, deals with uh, just the approach that a leader will have uh, not only with other executives in other companies, but as a company with another company, and how important it is sometimes to break down some of those walls that may be there. Yeah, I think that's extremely important. And this whole notion of assuming positive intent assumes that each person uh, is pursuing a course that makes sense from their point of view. And that if you have the conversation in the dialogue and you try to understand their perspective and point of view, hopefully you can come to a win-win. Now, it's clear also in life that there are people who behave badly, and the object is not to be a pushover, but, there's a, but there are other books written on how to deal with jerks, which is <laughs> not what my book's about. No, my but... book's about when you're in a business negotiation or a discussion or someone says something that might be initially somewhat offensive, if you assume positive intent, you're able to determine over time whether this was just a casual comment or something that they, they hadn't thought about or whether the person really is a jerk and you have to go to a different place. How much, and I, I know you mentioned before that the qualities of a leader can be the same in a small business in comparison uh, with, a, with a bigger business, but with the number of startups that we see popping up, I would imagine there's probably a unique set of challenges to being a leader within a startup these days. Well, I think that's true. Uh, one of them is the rate at which people are hired. And so you end up with the person you hired six months ago training the person you hired three months ago who's training the person you hired a month ago who's training the person you hired yesterday. And so it leads, can lead to a dilution of both the company culture and lack of clarity around the strategy and what the, the, the founders of the company really want to accomplish. Uh, maintaining that over the rapid pace of change and staying connected to the customer base in that period does require somewhat different leadership skills because it's much more about 
finding your place in the market than an organization that is very large, which has a different set of challenges. But that that would also go back to the issue of communication that you were talking about a little bit ago and how important that is when you're obviously even when you have an established company, but when you're building out a company as well. When you're building it out and you're rapidly hiring, it's extremely important that those new employees really understand the strategy, the values, and the culture of the company to avoid significant problems. You know, one of the things that companies often don't fully appreciate is that the culture of the company and the company's values are the curbs on the side of the road that keep the company out of trouble. And the more you emphasize those, the taller those curbs get on the roadway. And they provide a lot of insulation against challenges and troubles. We're joined by Ron Williams, who's the author of the book, Learning to Read, or Learning to Lead, excuse me, my apologies, Learning to Lead, the journey to leading yourself, leading others, and leading an organization. Your comments at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866, or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Towards the end of the book, and with your time at Aetna, you talk about uh, some of the issues that surround healthcare right now, and certainly leading Eating within the healthcare sector, I think, is is probably as challenging as as anything we have out there right now. Well, I would say it certainly is. As you know, it's uh, a huge part of the economy. It's uh, approximately twenty percent, almost twenty percent of the, of our uh, GDP. It's growing at a rate that's a multiple of the CPI uh, growth that we experience, and so there's a huge opportunity to create more value in healthcare. And as we uh, tackle the problems of access and making certain that everyone ultimately has access to health care, the uh, Affordable Care Act extended access to individuals who really were what I'll call the working poor. They made too much for certain government programs of assistance, but often they didn't work in companies or have access to health insurance. That was a very important population, but we still have a lot of work to do to make certain that people have access to coverage, but also importantly, that everyone can afford it. And the answer there is really continuing to digitize, continuing to use analytics, and eliminating the waste in the healthcare system, and helping those individuals who have chronic conditions do a better job of managing their condition. It's improving their quality of their life and decreasing the cost of care for them. Is it a dysfunctional industry right now? Well, I would say that no one would build a system that works the way our healthcare system does in the U.S. because of the way it's evolved. Mm -hmm. But changes to the system have to take into context the cultural context of the U.S. What works in the U.K., what works in France, what, what, what works in other countries can't be imported into the U.S. We're a different country. We have different culture. We have different traditions. We need market-based solutions that do, in fact, improve the affordability of the system. The, the overall benefit from being able to try and, and fix and correct some of the issues surrounding health care, it, it does reach a variety of different areas. And when you think about, the, as you said before, the impact that, that health care has on the economy right now, you're talking about potentially transformative balance to a degree by being able to correct a lot of these issues. Well, I think that's true, but I think also we have to be certain that in trying to make change, that we make change that improves the system and and doesn't destroy the system. 
And if you if you think about the uh, amount of capital necessary to transform integrative hospital systems, the the information technology, the data analytics, the clinical algorithms, this requires substantial capital, and it's a much more complicated problem than many other problems that we have faced. How do you it think it's solvable? I'm sorry to interrupt. How how do you think then? Well, the concept of leadership, and and obviously it may tweak as it moves along, but but as as technology develops and change, you think that that leadership, while it may have some core elements being the same, will that develop and change as well? Well, I think leadership uh, will uh, continue to evolve. And I think, for example, one of the things that has evolved in leadership is, in my book, I talk about leading yourself, leading others, and leading organizations. What's evolved is that as the leader of the organization, one of the single most important things is really leading yourself because you have more degrees of freedom, more degrees of opportunity to make mistakes, more degrees of freedom to make bad judgments. Mm -hmm. And so this this sense of self-awareness and effectively leading yourself as a leader is is important and also changing. We're so, experiencing things like the Me Too movement, which right. has been extremely important. So, how important is that component when you think about you know taking on those tasks? When we when we seemingly have more and more companies that want to have uh, the the group approach to solving problems these days. Well, I think my experience has been that teams are much better at identifying solutions and options and generating alternatives. Making decisions is a leadership issue. Right. And so like in, in, in Aetna, for example, if it was a clinical decision, our chief medical officer made the decision. If it was an information technology or digitization, that team made the decision. But you really have to have a person who listens to all the input, hears the pros, hears the cons, gathers the relevant facts, not all the facts, so you can chase them down a rabbit hole and waste a lot of time, the right. relevant facts, right. and then makes a decision. So think about the team as advisory and the leader as the decision maker. Ron, thanks very much for your time. Good luck with the book. Thank you. Thank you, Ron Williams. The book is Learning to Lead, The Journey to Leading Yourself, Leading Others, and Leading an Organization. It is available in bookstores and online for your purchase. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 